would ask you to turn back to the third chapter of Paul's letter to the Philippians. Philippians chapter 3. want to read verse 12 to verse 14. Not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul's letter to the Philippians is a, is a writing of sheer joy. It's a letter that's written to a congregation that Paul remembered with great fondness and with great thanksgiving. He says in chapter 1 and verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, in every prayer of mine, making my prayer with joy. Joy is a theme that predominates even in the midst of the undercurrent of fear that divisions in the church might ultimately prove a threat to joy and peace in this congregation. Almost every chapter mentions joy in one way or another, and sometimes more than once. Rejoice in the Lord always again. I say rejoice. It's a constant refrain. Even chapter 3 and verse 1, as we read this chapter, he says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. But also within this uh, letter, there's a constant refrain about the dangers of division. That it's division that could be the ultimate threat to the good, to the joy, to the peace of this assembly. And Paul's aim appears to be to keep their joy and their peace alive by constant reminders of the blessings of the gospel. Because it's upon the gospel that our joy and our peace are based. He says in chapter 1, I believe it's in verse 27, he says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's his principal exhortation. Let your manner of life, let your conduct, let the way you live be commensurate in some way to the gospel of Jesus. He says, So that whether I am present or absent, I may hear of you. That you're standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. It's the gospel that unifies us. It's the gospel that gives us a common goal, a common mind, a common understanding, a common set of of beliefs. And it's the gospel that is the great pearl of great price. That's worthy of all of life being brought in conformity to vital to this concern of continuance in the gospel and in the realities of the gospel are the examples you follow. Paul is always setting before the minds of the Philippians 
the example, first of Jesus, and then of himself as his apostle. Remember in chapter 2, he says, Have this mind in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, or is yours in Christ Jesus. We have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ in terms of the example of Christ. That though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God, something to be grasped or selfishly and self-interest clung to, but emptied himself or humbled himself, came in the form of our human flesh, came as a servant, came to be obedient unto death, the death of the cross. Have that mind in you, not filled with selfish ambition, not filled with a sense of what's in it for me, but selfless service to others for their good and for God's glory. He says in the passage we read earlier in chapter 3, he says, Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. He says in chapter 4, what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, these things do. The God of peace will be with you. He sets forth to them examples like Timothy and Aphroditus, whom he mentioned at the end of chapter 2. Men who didn't seek their own things, but sought the things of the Lord Jesus. Paul's concern that we follow Christ zealously, faithfully, ambitiously. Remitative creatures made to image God. And those who bear the image of God in clear and life-giving ways. And Paul presents himself as the picture that's worth a thousand words. The picture he paints of himself is notably expressed in this image he gives of himself, this portrait he paints of himself as the Christian runner. In chapter 3, verses 12 to verse 16. It's here that Paul makes his statement about the singular pursuit of his life. The one thing that's been the theme of our introductory messages to this new year. To be a people of one thing. It's a multifaceted thing, but yet it's one thing that Christians are to be concerned about. The things that pertain to our worship, service, fellowship of the living and the true God. We saw the one thing statement of chapter 27 and verse 4 where the psalmist says, One thing I've asked of the Lord, that will I also seek after. We've seen the one thing statement of Jesus to Martha in Luke 10.42, but one thing is necessary. Now Paul here says, One thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straightening forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now if the psalm, Psalm 27 and verse 4, speaks, as we said, of the singular pursuit of his presence. I may dwell in union and communion with this God in his temple, in his house, in his dwelling. Where he dwells, I want to dwell. The singular pursuit of his presence. That Jesus in the Gospels is speaking of the singular pursuit of his pleasure. Taking our place before him at his feet as disciples to learn of him that we might be as him. Now Paul is speaking of the singular pursuit of his prize. 
Not only of his presence, not only of his pleasure, but there's to be a singular pursuit of his prize. And he is not seeking different things. He's seeking one thing. He's seeking him. And in seeking him, we want to know his presence. We want to know his pleasure. And we want to know his prize. It's multifaceted aspects of that one singular pursuit. You and I, who are just so caught up with the busyness of life, you turn on the television, they give you a hundred stations, which is nothing to watch. You, you turn on the internet and the, you go from one page to another page to another page to another page from politics to the stock market to the things in the Ukraine to, to crime and drama and entertainment and you can just get weary thinking of everything that's all around us squeezing in upon our minds vying for our attention and God's word comes and says put it away Learn to simplify your life. Learn to see what's genuinely important, what, where the priorities really lie. It lays in the pursuit of his presence, the pursuit of his pleasure, the pursuit of his prize. And in all the things you seek in life, don't neglect this. Don't neglect these things. These are the things of paramount importance. Put them first and foremost in all that you pursue. I want to look at what Paul tells us about the Christian race, about the way that he ran the Christian race. And it involves basically three things. They're expressed in, grammatically in terms of two participles and one main verb. Participles in English is usually a word that's a verbal form that ends in ing. And Paul speaks of forgetting forgetting he speaks also of straining those are two things that Paul says he does in running the race forgetting what lies behind straining forward to what lies ahead and the main verb then comes in I press on he already used it in verse 12 not that I've already obtained this and I'm already perfect but I press on to make it my own Paul wants to make it clear he doesn't think himself to have arrived He's not like these people in the church that think, well, you've gotten all the blessings you ever can get, so you just sit back and, and relax. He says, no, no. There's a prize to be won. There's a race to be run. There's things to obtain I don't already possess. I need to press on. I need to press on and particular way, in a specific way. And the first thing is, the negative thing, he says, forgetting what lies behind. Paul's singular pursuit for his prize necessitates a forgetting of the past. Well, not an absolute forgetting of the past. The past is good to recall and remember when there's lessons to be learned from the past. Our problem is it's easy to get stuck in the past. It's easy to let the past cripple us in the present. To have memories, often haunting memories of past experiences where we've been wounded and hurt and tragically treated and abused. Past tragedies, past failures, past mistakes, past patterns of life that cripple us in the present. We're just living there. 
We're just living there. You never need to get past it if that's where your mind is. You'll be reliving it, rehashing it over and over and over again. And the fact simply is, you can't change what is past. You can't go back and correct the mistakes. They've been made. You can regret it. You can be humbled in the light of it. But you can never change it. You can be forgiven for it. You can be cleansed of it. You can be redeemed from it. But if you're not thinking of the past in terms of lessons that can help you in the present, stop looking back. Stop looking back. Learn from the past, but don't continue to look at your past. It's silly to do it. As silly as a runner who is always looking over, over his shoulder, looking back. Looking back. Why would a runner look back? There's this runner that's uh, from Rockland County High School championship runner, the woman, a girl named Caitlin Tui. I don't know if any of you heard of her. But she runs now for uh, North Carolina State, I believe it is. And they're they're like the championship women's running long distance and things like that. And the girl's quite amazing, but I always notice. I mean, she runs distance races, so I guess she can afford to be looking over her shoulder. I think she's always looking at who's, 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 who's gaining on her. But very few people are able to gain on her. She just is an amazing runner. But... um, Really, looking back at where the other runners are isn't going to help her in running the race well. If anything, it's going to hinder her from running the race well. I'm always thinking to myself when I've seen her run, I said, why didn't the coach tell her, stop looking back, stop looking back, look forward, look to the prize, don't look back. I know, I think if I was running and looking back, I'd probably think, oh, how, how well did I do? How well did I run that last quarter mile? How well did I... How's my form? I've been thinking of all kinds of things, but not thinking of those things are not going to be helping you. How did I do? Who am I better than? Or who's behind me? It's wasted action. It slows you down. In fact, when you look back, it actually... You know, you're afraid of people gaining on you. Your muscles get tight. Fear enters in. And it's debilitating. It's debilitating to the progress of the runner. You've got to let go of the past. You've got to let go of the shame of the past. The pain of the past. The disappointments of the past. Even memories of the past that you, you delighted in. Long lost and deeply missed. Your youth. Time when you had a full head of hair. Look, look back at those things for really what purpose? None of that can aid in the present hour. None of that can help you make progress toward the goal. But forgetting the past is not enough. It's important that we do. If the past isn't helping us in the present, gotta let it go. You gotta let it go. 
can't let the shame of it, the pain of it, the guilt of it, all the rest just come back to haunt you. Understand who and what you are in Christ, what God has done for you in Christ, the welcome you receive from Christ, and you've been placed in a race in which the past is not material. It's the future that is. It's the future that's going to impinge upon the present in gracious and sanctifying ways. And so in the present, there must be a straining forward to what lies ahead. In other words, you don't run the race jogging in place. Every muscle, every fiber of our being needs to be poised towards what lies ahead. And you know what lies ahead for God's people is glory. It's honor. It's blessing. Just as we don't live in the past, we don't dread the future. We welcome the future. We're not to be sitting around complaining about what the future might bring or fearing what the future might bring or being angry that things might not go the way I hope they'll go. You're not to be skeptical or caustic or careless about what lies ahead. We strain towards it. We want it. We welcome it. We look forward to it. Each day comes with a new opportunity to live life for the glory of the one whom we will meet in glory. To work towards that lifestyle that's going to culminate in the words well done good and faithful servant enter into the joy of your Lord each day is a new opportunity to serve God to serve others to learn God's ways to love God's people to witness to God's truth to others to live for the glory of God and the good of neighbor and family and friends and brethren and even enemies a new opportunity to advance the kingdom of God and its interests and its values. A new opportunity to be salt, to be light in the midst of the darkness and the corruption of this present evil age. If we spent half of our time, or half the time that we do spend, often complaining and arguing and agitating and demonstrating and cursing and hating and all the, all the negative things that so often characterizes the lives of some of God's people, some of God's choice saints, just get Get into this downward spiral. If you spend half the time you do, you spend in doing those things, instead blessing, praising, serving, working, witnessing. Your life wouldn't be half as negative and vile and unpleasant as maybe you think that it is. We need to stretch forward. To what lies ahead in glad anticipation of seeing the blessing of God upon our work. We don't labor in vain, folks. We see the blessing of God. Psalmist said, I'd fainted unless I'd believed I'd seen the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I would have fainted. I'd have given up a long time ago. 
Someone mentioned to me before worship that our gift is that of an encourager. And the only comment to that was we need encouragers because the world's filled with so much discouragement. There's so much discouragement all around us. And we need God's people, again, to take our eyes off not only of the past, but all the things around us that just will, in and of themselves, bring us to distress and despair. But in the midst of our despair at things that we see around us, to know we that's not all there is to see. There's God's grace and present in the present hour. And there's the hope that is lies before us in the gospel. And we press forward to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. To see God use us in the midst of this present evil age for good, for blessing. That's how we're to live our lives, folks. With those two things governing our way. Forgetting the guilt and the mess of our unconverted years, of all the mistakes we've made in our Christian lives, and look forward with hope and optimism at serving God still with whatever is left of our lives in this world. To know the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And you know, we can afford to do this We can afford to forget what lies behind and to stretch forward to what lies before because what lies before us is a prize. What lies before us is a worthwhile goal awaiting us. There's a prize that awaits the runner in the Olympic Games. They would run, Paul says, for the medal. It's an imperishable medal, but yet that would lead an athlete to train hard for the Olympics. It would lead them to engage in the competition with utter commitment to bring everything in subjection to the race that is before them, to run the race well, to run the race effectively. And they're doing it for a perishable medal. They're doing it for a wreath of of flowers or, you know, going to perish. Not going to last. We're after an imperishable crown. A prize worthy to be pursued. But what is the prize he's speaking of? What's the prize? Well, what's, you know, prize is something of value, isn't it? And the man in the parable that Jesus said found a pearl of great price which he sold everything that he had to obtain that pearl. He found a treasure in the field. And again, everything was going to be sold for the purpose of purchasing the field, having that treasure. Well, in the gospel, there's a treasure. There's a pearl of great price. There's a prize worthy of our pursuits. And what's the prize? Well, in a real sense, it's not different from what Paul says motivates him in living life day by day. For to me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. How in the world can death be gain? I've puzzled over that question as a young Christian for, for years. Wait a minute. If I die, 
I'm not going to get to know who won the World Series this year. That's where my mind goes. I'm not going to get to know who's going to win the next presidential election. I'm not going to. I'm going to, I'm going to miss out. It's kind of like growing up in the years when Johnny Carson was all the rage and everybody stayed up much later than they should in order to watch Carson because they think they'd miss something. No, you're not going to miss anything. You're missing a good night's sleep is what you're missing. But they, these are the things people prized. It's a prize we are called upon to achieve and obtain. what Paul in chapter 3 calls I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth there's a surpassing worth of what? of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. What's the prize He's after? It's Christ. It's the presence of Jesus. That's how death becomes gain. Because death brings us into the presence of Christ. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. For someone who says, for me to live as Christ, to be in the presence of Christ is certainly a step up. It's Salvation Army language. It's a promotion. It's a promotion to glory. It's a promotion from serving Christ by faith to serving Him by sight. To be in His very presence. To know as we are known. To know the blessing of His eternal presence. That's what should motivate the Christian in the race we run. The presence of God. To see that presence with exceeding great joy. And we see him by faith, yes. Since of Moses, he endured all the trials of Egypt, all the trials and fears of the persecution of the king, because he saw him who was invisible. By faith he saw him who is invisible. The invisible God was seen by faith. But a death, that sight that was seen by faith is seen in presence. In presence. This is what awaits the runner who runs the race, forgetting the past, joyfully pursuing the work of the present, to hear the words of the master we serve well done good and faithful servant enter into the joy of your Lord to enter into a place where there's no temple for the temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb a place where we're told that there is no sun or moon to shine upon it for the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the Lamb. He's the light of the place. He's the joy of the place. He's the pearl of great price. The prize to be gained. The treasure that's hid in the field. The one who's truly worthy 
of our best efforts to run the Christian race faithfully and to run it joyfully. He sang the words of the hymn, Run the straight race through God's good grace. Lift up thine eyes and see his face. Life with its way before us lies. Christ is the path and Christ the prize. We need to be a people of a singular ambition, of a singular pursuit, the pursuit of his presence, his pleasure, and his prize, which is himself offered to us in the goodness of God's grace in the gospel. But there are certain things that this race, if we're going to pursue it, rightly, if we're going to run it faithfully, is going to require of us. And let me just leave you with these suggestive thoughts. First of all, if we're going to run this race, there needs to be fitness to run the race. You don't just begin to run the race as a couch potato, sitting and down in the Doritos and the, the cold beer, and uh, think you're going to get out and, and down in the pizza and everything else you shouldn't be eating. And then think, well, I'm going to get out there and I'm going to run the race and I'm going to win. No, there's a fitness that we are to be pursuing. And the fitness really doesn't have to do with physical fitness. It has to do with spiritual sensibilities that are awake and alive. Writer to the Hebrews is instructing his readers about matters pertaining to this high priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. And it's almost like he has to stop in his tracks at one point in his exposition and say, he says this, he says in chapter 5 of the book of Hebrews in verse 11, he says, about this we have much to say and it's hard to explain. Not because he's a bad teacher or he can't explain it. He says, the problem is you've become dull of hearing. Problem is not his ability to teach, but their faculty to receive the teaching. They become dull of hearing. Maybe you've seen some of these people sitting in church on Sunday and seeing how they react to sermons. And it's with a difference. It's, you know, their minds are somewhere else. They're thinking about the football game in the afternoon, or they're thinking about the roast at home, or they're thinking about relationships with people. They're thinking about everything. But the reason we assemble. They simply have become dull of hearing. He says, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you ought to be like seminary professors, you got need to someone else teach you the ABCs of the oracles of God. You've got to go back to kindergarten. You ought to be teaching graduate school. You need to go back to kindergarten. He says, you need milk, not solid food. He says, solid food is for the mature, who those who have the powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good and evil. The Christian life is a life of constant practice of spiritual discernment. Constant practice of drawing in before our minds the issues of what's good versus what's evil. 
And then in the realm of the things that are good, what's good and, and what's even better than the good? Now, it's, it's one thing to say, I'm going to choose the good rather than the evil, but then we think, well, as long as we've hit the good, well, then we're safe. We've separated good from evil, so we're wise, we're discerning, we're well fit to run the Christian race. And the writer of Hebrews says, no, 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 there needs to be something even more than choosing the good from the evil. You've got to learn to choose the better from the good. They're the good things, but there are better things to choose. So why should you be content as a Christian choosing merely the good when you can get the better? Why just be a Christian that is, who's barely acceptable? You're satisfied with these. When you got the ability to go to graduate school, you got the ability to be a teacher of others, why will you be content just with a passing grade when you can get a better grade? And then you need to go on from there, not just discerning what's better from what's good, but what's best from even what's better. That's what the sermon does. And life as a Christian is a training of our spiritual faculties to exercise ourselves with those very questions. To make distinguish, to, to distinguish between the good and the bad, the good and the evil. But that's just the threshold of your concern if you're a Christian. You shouldn't just be content with the good if you can get the better. And you shouldn't be content with the better if you can get the best. You strive for the excellent. You strive to be, you know, what they say, that the army trains you to be all that you can be. That used to be the army pitch. Well, Jesus trains us to be all that we can be. He wants to train us to be excellent. To be serving Him, not just with passing grades, but with an ability to attain such understanding of His will and His ways that we can be instructing others by our example, by our encouragements. To seek what is not just good, but what's better and what is best. That's having training to fitness as a Christian. To seek the excellent, to be discerning and wise in the choices that we make. Not just to sit back and say, oh, I've done enough. Hey, run this race halfway, so might as well just quit. No, you're not done yet. You're not done yet. Train yourself to endure. Train yourself to continue on. Train yourself to lay hold of that for which we have been laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Why did the Lord save you? Is it merely to be a mediocre Christian? He saved you that he might teach you excellence. He might teach you his will. He might teach you his ways. It's enough for his disciple to be as his teacher. Let's seek the excellence. Let's seek to be trained for this race by discerning and spiritual faculties exercised to discern the good from the evil, the better from the be- the, the good, the better from the good, and the best from even the better. But then also, this race requires not only fitness; it requires focus. It requires focus. There's so many distractions all around us. And we tend to just allow those distractions to squeeze us out our time of reading Scripture or meditating in God's Word. There's just so many things that are interesting in this world. You've got to admit it, right? I mean, just uh, turn on one of these websites that offer you podcasts. There's things for every taste in the world. There's all kinds of diversions. And I have to confess, I subscribe to Disney Plus, and 
I'm, 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 I'm quitting it because there's nothing to watch. There's nothing to watch. Sorry, I just can't get it to Marvel. I just can't do it. There's nothing there for me. We need to focus upon other things and all these things that cry out for our time and our interests. We need to focus upon the great things of God, the things of his word, to be a people who seek him, to be a people who seek, again, excellence before him in a focused fashion that has Jesus within our sights. And they say, those that aim at nothing will always hit their target. We don't aim at nothing. We aim at Jesus to be like him, to honor him, to serve him, to bless him, to praise him, to be conformed to his image, to be conformed to his will. And one final thing, we not only need fitness and focus, we need fortitude. We need strength. We need the things that provide fortitude for us. Remember the Wonder Bread commercials, building up strong bodies in 12 ways or something like that. And you look at it, it's all just, what they did is they took the bread that they took all the nutrients out of and then they fortified it with nutrients that they put back in artificially. They bleached it out and then they say, well, now we're going to enrich it. That's enriched Wonder Bread. Um, But our lives need to be enriched. It needs to be enriched with the influence one another can, can bring to us, to be fortified by our fellowship with the saints. To be fortified by the encouragements we can be to one another. Again, the example of an Epaphras, the example of a Timothy that Paul points to. It's not just him, but it's those who also walk in God's ways to note them, to draw near to them. I used to work at a business where the problem with most people is we all hung around together and we complained about what we didn't like about the business. And we didn't really become excellent workers at all. And we, you know, there were people that were actually doing stuff for the company. They were productive. They were successful. We should have hung around with them a little bit and realized that they knew the pathway of success. We need to find those people who have really caught on to what the Word of God requires, and they're doing it. And ask them, well, how, how do you sustain a prayer life as you seem to do? Can you help me out? We should be helpers of one another. We should be encouragers of one another. We should be looking to build one another up in the faith to provide help and fortification to one another. That we each would be be strong in the Lord and the power of His might and in the strength that God Himself provides through His Word, through His people, through encouragement, through others' examples. We might walk in God's ways well and run the race effectively and secure the prize with exceeding great joy. May God be pleased to help us to, in the coming year, be a people of singular ambition, of a singular ambition that knows the one things that the Bible tells us are needful and necessary, and the things we should be doing, and the things that we should be performing, things that we should be asking of the Lord, the things we should be seeking after to know God's presence to know his pleasure, to know the prize, and by his grace to be pursuing it in the faithful running of the Christian race. May God be pleased to bless his word, and let's then unite our hearts before him in prayer. Father, we're thankful for 
this time in your word. We're thankful for the richness of the illustrations that scripture gives to us, these little windows in which we see how the Christian life is to be lived. And Lord, if we have been living in the past and the guilt of the past and the pain of the past, we pray that you'd help us to put it away, to put it in the past and seek your grace in the present hour to be a people that stretch forward to what's before us and recognize that we're a people of hope. We've been born again unto a living hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We've been given an inheritance, undefiled, unfading, reserved in heaven for us. Help us to live in the light of our future and help us to live as a people in that future who have hope and having hope, seek purity, having Hope, seek faithful service, knowing that we are a people who do not labor in vain. We ask you to hear our prayers and to bless us with growth in the Christian walk and the Christian race over the course of this next year. Father, as we come to the end of 2023, we might look back and marvel that, Lord, even at this point in our lives, you were able to teach us things and able to motivate us to greater things and perhaps this year will be the best year spiritually speaking of growth and of conformity to Jesus that will amaze us so we ask you to hear our prayers and to bless your people as we'd ask these things in Jesus name amen